Hey, and welcome back to Grace Talks, a Christian's women's podcast that studies the Bible, the women in it, and applies it to our lives today. Today we're going to be talking about Ruth, a woman from the Old Testament who shows us what loyalty looks like. Ruth has her own book of the Bible, and I recommend reading all of it. It's not long at all, and it's one of my favorites. To save time, I'm going to be doing like a combination of summarizing things that happen and reading particular verses pulled from the chapters. So, let's get into it. To start, Ruth lived during the time Israel was ruled by judges, not kings. And at the beginning of the story, there's a really bad famine. The famine is so bad that this couple named Naomi and Elimelech take their two sons and peace out to Bethlehem, where they were from, and go to this place called Moab. The Moabites often fought with Israel over territory, and they didn't worship Israel's God. Elimelech and Naomi didn't trust God enough for provision during the famine, so they chose to make their living in a place God had not called them to be. While they were still living in Moab, Elimelech dies, and Naomi's sons marry two of the Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. After about 10 years of living there, both of Naomi's sons die as well leaving Naomi completely alone as a widow in a place where she has no family or kinsmen to rely on. So, we're off to a cheery start, right? I promise the whole story isn't a bummer, but first, we have to start out in this not-so-great place. That's kind of like life, too, right? Sometimes, we as people have to hit rock bottom before we decide to trust God and let Him pull us up. Well, I mean, that's where Naomi is for sure, rock bottom. Now, at this time... Naomi hears that the Lord has come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, so she plans to set out on the long road that would take her back to Bethlehem and Judah. First, though, she tells her daughter-in-laws, who are also widows now, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Both Orpah and Ruth tell her, No, we're going to come with you. But Naomi then says, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Naomi is in a bitter place right now. And honestly, it can be difficult to blame her. She lost her husband and her sons, and now, as a widow in this era, she has no one to protect her or provide for her. Because she's older, getting married again isn't really an option for her. And she sees herself in this broken place and makes the decision that she doesn't want to drag anyone down with her. Do you ever feel like that? Like you're going through a hard time and you don't want to drag down anyone around you? We'll just wait for her daughter-in-law's responses. Orpah, sad to leave, Naomi takes her advice and returns to her parents' house. But Ruth replies in chapter 1, verse 16 through 18 with this. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Can we just take a second to appreciate Ruth's response? Naomi and Ruth are both widows, with no one else to take care of them. 
Ruth has every right to return to what is familiar to her, what is comfortable, and find another husband in her homeland. But instead, she chooses to take care of her mother-in-law, to pursue a god she wasn't raised with, and to face whatever dangers they would encounter together. When was the last time you had a friend like that? When was the last time you were a friend like that? Ruth did what she knew was right, even when she could have done what the world said was easy and good. Ruth knew that doing the right thing sometimes requires sacrifice, and she was a willing and eager woman of God's purpose to sacrifice for Naomi's well-being. What would the world be like if we were as willing and eager to do what is right like Ruth? There are times that I want so badly to do the right thing, but I'll take the easy way out because the world told me it was okay. Nowadays, the motto is, love yourself, put yourself first, and a bunch of other stuff like that. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't remember a spot in the Bible that told anyone to put themselves first. What I can think of is Luke 9:23, that tells us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus. As Christians, we're supposed to imitate Jesus as best we can, and Jesus didn't put himself first. He demonstrated over and over again what it was like to be a servant. He washed his disciples' feet. He healed people. He was tortured, hung on a cross, and died for us, for everyone, for me, and for you. If the Son of God didn't put himself first, I think that's my cue to know that it's not my right either. And look, I'm the first to agree that if you have nothing in your cup— You can't really pour out into others. But if you remember what we talked about with the woman at the well, if you have Jesus as your living water, you get to be a fountain. So focus on your relationship with God first and watch all of the opportunities he gives you to be a servant to others. And then be that servant. Watch that you don't get taken advantage of, but don't be afraid to give out more of yourself than what the world tells you is acceptable. Go beyond what you think you have the strength for, and I promise you that you'll find a strength from God you never knew was possible. Okay, so what happens next? Ruth and Naomi journey back to Bethlehem. When they arrive back, the women of the town ask, could this be Naomi? And Naomi responds, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. The name Naomi means pleasantness, by the way. Obviously, the journey hasn't exactly inspired Naomi to feel blessed, even with her widowed daughter-in-law joining in. This is probably something a lot of us can relate to. When bad things happen, we can sometimes hang on to misfortune. We continue to dwell on the bad of the past, and it affects our present and our future. We make ourselves bitter, just like Naomi in this moment. But Ruth is there to step up and support Naomi. She's willing to pick up someone else's burdens and take care of the both of them. In the beginning of chapter two, the people of the town are in the midst of harvesting the fields, and Ruth tells Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi agrees and Ruth goes. So this was a pretty common practice of the less fortunate. They would pick up all the leftover produce in the field that the workers missed or saw as not worth the time to pick up. But what does Ruth mean by saying she will do this in the eyes she finds favor? The way I see it, it's like in Exodus 33 with Joshua and Moses. Favor is when someone's looking out for you, like how God looked out for the Israelites. 
Ruth is looking for someone to look out for her and Naomi, even if it just means the safe gathering of leftover grain in a field. We often look for favor in the context of physical, emotional, and spiritual health. So, now we get to find out if there's going to be anyone Ruth will find favor in. It says in this chapter, as Ruth is in the field, Boaz, the owner of it, sees her and asks his overseer, Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz approached Ruth and tells her to remain in his field and glean in safety with the other women who work for him. Boaz told her that he had commanded the men not to lay a hand on her, and if that she was ever thirsty, she could drink from the jars of water that the men had filled. Ruth then bows her face to the ground and asks him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you didn't know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. This is a really cool passage, and I want to take a second to explain why. Reread or re-listen to the section again, but think of it as a parable, as a story that represents something bigger. I'll wait for you to pause and go back. Did you do it? <laughs> Maybe this time you noticed a correlation of our relationship with God. Ruth was a Moabite, not a Jew. She wasn't one of God's chosen people of the Old Testament, but she was under the refuge of God's wings. God loves everyone, regardless of origin, class, gender, or race. Nothing stands between God and the people he created. He's made everyone in his image. Remember when Adam and Eve were created? That means regardless of how the world classifies you, God simply classifies you as his. This also proves that our past is not our final destination when we trust in God. Ruth chose to accept God's love and accept his blessings. Micah 7, 7 reads, But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Ruth followed Naomi, and in doing so followed Naomi's God. She trusted that the two of them would be provided for. And she was willing to work hard to make it work. Do you struggle to receive God's grace sometimes? I feel like we can beat ourselves up and continue to carry things God told us to cast off. So how can we be better about accepting God's mercy? I think step one would be to read his word more often if we find ourselves struggling with it. Let me know what verses help you personally so that I can share them on the Instagram stories. So after this, Boaz offers Ruth to come and eat with him. She eats until she's full, but then she goes back and continues to pick up the leftovers in the field. Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Boaz was extra generous with Ruth, but not in a weird, braggy way. He didn't pity her and give her what she needed to send her home. He allowed her the dignity of working for it and helping her without boasting of it to her. 
When Ruth returns back to Naomi that evening with like 30 pounds of barley, and that's not an exaggeration. This is from the book. It's like 30 pounds of barley. Naomi asks her where she worked that evening and to bless the man that took notice of her. When Ruth tells her that it was Boaz, Naomi goes, the Lord bless him. (laughs) Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Okay, let's hit pause real quick. What on earth is a guardian redeemer? A guardian redeemer was a legal term for someone who had the obligation to redeem a relative in serious difficulty. If you want to figure that a little more, check out Leviticus chapter 25, verses 25 through 55. But basically, if you died without having any children, your closest of kin would marry your wife and give you an heir. Yeah, I know it's weird, but that was the way it worked back then. And as it turns out, Boaz was a relative of Naomi on her husband's side. Okay, now that's cleared. What happens next? Ruth finishes out the harvest, that whole time, like that whole period of time, working in Boaz's field with his female servants and living with her mother-in-law. But let's go ahead and read all of chapter three. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose woman you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. "'Who are you?' he asked. "'I am your servant, Ruth,' she said. "'Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family.' "'The Lord bless you, my daughter,' he replied." This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are women of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anybody could be recognized, and he said, No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing, and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Reading this, we first realize that Naomi has been moving on from her time of bitterness. Her healing has started. How can we tell this? Bitter people don't hope. Bitter people don't make plans. Naomi had a strategy for Ruth. And that's the mark of a woman that has hope and has a desire for those she loves to get more out of their lives. 
At this point, we still have no clue as to why Naomi suggests this strategy, but we do know that she's confident about it, and we know that Ruth listens to her without question. Not only does Ruth obediently take the advice of Naomi, a woman more mature and wiser in years than her, but she adds something to it. She's more than just a robot repeating what was told to her. She takes initiative to clearly tell Boaz why she's there when he asks her. She tells him that he is next of kin. She's basically telling him that he is the redeemer, and she wants him to redeem their inheritance and be her husband. Let's also clarify what she means by spread your skirt over me, because that's a weird phrase, right? When Ruth said spread your skirt over me, the word for skirt is the Hebrew word for wing. Boaz in the last chapter had referenced the wings of God as a place of refuge. Ruth is asking to be placed in his refuge, in Boaz's protection as his wife. Now, let's focus on Boaz and his response. It's literally the middle of the night, they're alone, and she just admitted that she wants to be his. Now, talk about testing out a man's patience, yeah? But what does he do, though? He literally tells her that technically there's another closer kinsman, and that he needs to settle the matter with him first. That's wild self-control. So now let's finish the story with chapter four. Boaz goes to the city gate, where people go to discuss business and legal matters. He meets up with the closest kin and the elders of the town. <laughs> I love this part of the story. Boaz tells the guy that Naomi is selling the piece of land that belonged to her husband, and that Boaz wants to buy it, but he realizes that this guy has the right. The other man says, oh yeah, I'd like to buy it. And only then does Boaz mention that with that purchase, he's also acquiring Ruth, a Moabite and a widow, as a wife. The kinsman redeemer immediately goes, oh wait, uh, never mind. I don't want that actually. You can have her and the property. Then this dude takes off his sandal and gives it to Boaz because for some reason, that was how they did business transactions back in the day. If anyone is wondering why the other guy didn't want the role of guardian, kinsman redeemer, whatever you want to call it, it's because he would be paying money to get this new land, but then if Ruth gave him a child, the child would inherit it. This would mean that he would lose money from the purchase of the fields and for providing for Ruth and Naomi. So what happens in chapter 4, verses 13 through 16? Let's read. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. I told you this story ends better than it starts. We went from death to birth, from famine to harvest, from loneliness to fullness, from poverty to blessings. Remember, Ruth is better than seven sons, okay? Even in the most devastating of times, we have a hope that God will be our refuge. He has wings that we can be covered by, and he uses his faithful people to be wings for others as well. God can use people who might feel insignificant to enact a greater purpose. Ruth wasn't even a Jew, and she was a woman from thousands of years ago. Yet God saw her and chose her to be part of history. Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David, and that lineage leads us all the way to Jesus. What else can we pull from this book? 
Okay, well, there's this big thing, actually. We get a preview of Jesus's redeeming power. Luke 1, 68 says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Jesus paid a big price, his life, and unlike the closest of kin that Boaz spoke to, Jesus was more than happy to share his inheritance with us. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus sees us at our low points, and he wants to protect us, to provide for us, and to lift us up. Our absolute worst moments are nothing in the face of God's love. Can we also take a quick moment to realize the kind of man we, as Christ's daughters, are worth? Boaz was protective of Ruth from the beginning, but he also didn't stop her from working out in the field. A good man will want to protect you, but he won't control or manipulate you. He won't stop you from the dignity of hard work. He won't force you into idleness. And Boaz was hardworking too, like Ruth. He was out in the field. He was respected in the town. He had a good reputation. A lazy man in his 20s is going to be a lazy husband, a lazy father, and a lazy worker later on in life too. Listen, when you hear about a man's reputation, sometimes it's gossip, but sometimes it's a red flag that you should be taking a little more seriously. Boaz also showed interest in Ruth. He was the first to approach her and let her know that she was safe in his field. He was the one to invite her to eat with him. All I'm saying is that if a man wanted to, he would. Let a good man pursue you. Don't chase after the guys that think of you as second best, because, doll, you are not second best. Boaz also had honorable intentions. Not only did he exercise self-control the night Ruth approached him, but he also made sure that the way she left wouldn't cause a scandal. Ruth might have already been struggling to fit in in a new place, even though she had formed this good reputation for herself, but the last thing she needed would have been the judgment of spending the night with a man as an unmarried woman. Boaz's man brain didn't get in the way of making sure her reputation remained intact as well. He also didn't let his emotion that night interfere with doing the right thing. He still went to the city gate and spoke with the man who technically had the right before him. I don't know about all of you, but one thing I've always been able to agree on with other women is that a guy with self-control is wildly attractive. Self-control in all aspects, by the way, not just the sexual kind. The guy who plays five hours of video games a day and spends about one hour with God a week is probably the same guy that's going to spend hours on himself and his desires and seconds thinking about your own needs. Boaz was also the guy who was sensitive to the needs of those around him. He was generous with people that would offer him literally nothing in return. A man after God's heart will not only notice the deeds of others, but he will do what is in his power to meet those needs. He'll do the same for you too. He'll notice your needs and he'll take care of them as best he can without expecting something in return. Look for a man that's trying to be selfless. Boaz also didn't care about either of their pasts. Boaz didn't care that she was a young widow, that she was a Moabite, or anything else. He saw who she was at that moment, and he saw her character as she took care of Naomi. I'm gonna stress this point real quick. If a man judges you because of your past, drop him. Immediately. There is this stupid double standard that can circulate in society that will contrast a prodigal son with a virtuous daughter. A guy can make his mistakes and be welcomed back to the feast, but a girl will have made the same mistakes and be seen as less than when she returns. If you've messed up before coming to Jesus, 
or if you have messed up but have returned back to Jesus, you are not less than. I don't care if some stupid boy has ever made you feel like you weren't worthy because of your past choices. And I'm sorry if you believed it for even a second. But God wants you. God sees your heart and he hears those mean things you tell yourself. And he wants you. You are not your past. You are who God says you are. And he says that you are his. Isaiah 43.1 says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Ruth is a book about loyalty, turning a story of tragedy and death into a story of joy and life. Ruth leaves behind a legacy, and we'll all leave behind a legacy someday. We're all going to get to meet God and tell him our life story, even though he was there for every second of it. What will be yours? Well, that's everything I have for today. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we're going to be talking about Sarah, and I really hope to see you then. If you have any questions about today's episode, the Bible, or anything else, I'd be happy to answer as best as I can. And if you haven't heard it today, God loves you. I love you. You are important. You have worth. And you have an epic purpose. I'm signing off. Bye.